Hello! My name is Joe Hogan. Many of you know me as Epic Grays in various video games and social media. Welcome to episode 169 of Geekditude, a geek culture podcast that celebrates the inner geek in all of us. I am once again joined today by Ray Vargas. How you doing, Ray? I'm doing good, Joe. How's it going? I am so tired. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're you're getting ready for a year of teaching unlike any year you've had in a few different ways, right? Oh, so many different ways. So I, I kind of alluded to, first of all, I apologize for not getting a episode out this past week. I, I just started my new job, like just started my new job and there was just no way of making it happen. Um, I couldn't even get other guests on because they were scheduled for after one of my meeting days and mm-hmm. I had so much to do that I was like, sorry guys, I'm going to have to cancel because there's just no way I'm going to get all the work done and, and be able to record. Oh. Um, but for, for those of you who've been asking about details. So as you all know, I've been teaching at a place that's about two hours away from uh, where I live and they'd been promising me for a while now making me full-time theater. And I understand that that's not terribly possible at that site, but the the principal, who was very supportive of my theater program, was doing what she could, but she kind of had the other stuff that she needed to work on, and so she kept pushing it down the mm-hmm. down the way. And, um, and then, you know, I produced Les Mis, and I'm like, all right, so this is, this is going to do it. This is going to be the, the thing that gets me that job and she pushed it down the the road again and so i was like i i need to i need to start looking for another job as much as i love the place that i work and i love these kids yeah i'm driving two hours to teach english and then throw all my extra time into a drama program that i'm not really getting paid for yeah so that day like i went upstairs and at lunch and saw that there was like one of the number one programs in Southern California was hiring for a new drama teacher. And I immediately went downstairs and asked for a letter of recommendation. And so I, they ended up pulling that job because of COVID and saying, we're not going to, we're not going to share that. And that's probably a good thing because as I think about it, having the pressure of trying to take over the number one (laughs) Southern California drama position would have made me like major stressed. Yeah. But it got me all kind of set up to, to apply for any other jobs that came through. And then just randomly in June, the beginning of June, a position opened up that's literally 20 minutes away. Um, I'm moving from a school of about 500 to a school of about 1800. Um, they have three performance spaces. I, I only knew about two, but I was talking to some of the advanced kids this week and they're like, Oh yeah, we have an amphitheater too. And I'm like, Oh my God, (laughs) Like, (laughs) like it is, it is literally a dream come true as far as performance space goes. I have a black box theater that's huge and has lights that are smart lights. So they do their own thing. Like you can program them to change on their own. Um, I've got a theater that has a fly system where you push a button and like curtains fly in and out. And I have a, a, you have to get to some of the lights through a catwalk. Um, like it's huge. It's it's they're both professional spaces that I get to play in 
once this COVID thing is over. Wow. So I am so excited. Biggest problem is, is that I am currently teaching four periods because of COVID and we're teaching from home to our theater one and to our stagecraft mm-hmm. and theater one I'm doing okay with because, you know, I, I was doing a little bit of that before I finished my old job over the summer, but how do you teach stagecraft via remote learning? Like, it's just like these kids want to be like playing with power tools and building stuff. And I'm like, all right, guys, so this is how you design. (laughs) We don't want to design. We want to build. I'm like, I can't make that happen for you. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm having fun and I think the kids are going to be great, but it's so hard to connect with them over the internet. Like it's the first day of school and you would be like seeing their faces and seeing their reactions and half of them don't turn on their cameras. And (laughs) yeah. And well, I mean, I get it. I don't love being on camera, Yeah, but I do. I have to be. So your, so your semester has started already. Wow. Oh yeah. We started uh, Monday and Tuesday were, um, were the like in-service days. Wow. We went to meetings and then, uh, Wednesday was the first day with kids. So I've had kids for three days already. Wow. Yeah. So it's, it's exciting and there's a lot of stuff that I'm looking forward to being able to do, but I kind of feel like I'm in this holding pattern of trying to figure out how to run theater through a computer and with a bunch of kids, I don't know. It was easier with kids that I'd been working with for years and had an established relationship with, but now I'm going into a new place where they liked their old theater teacher. Right. Um, you know, I, I had to convince the, the theater club leadership that I wasn't going to take over and do everything my way. Mm. But, um, but yeah, and I've been taxed with the, I, the, the job of growing and expanding the program. So my principal's very, supportive she wants it to be a um a source of theater for like the entire community in the entire valley which means i'm going to be able to do a lot of stuff yeah but i can't right now <laughs> right right well it sounds like the students are very um passionate so mm-hmm. about the theater program which is awesome right and then it's just a, it sounds like it's just a matter of building that trust you know right and it's i've i've only got about like i asked them how many kids are kind of hardcore about drama and they're like yeah about 30 25 <laughs> 30 and i'm like oh okay so i've got a lot of building to do cuz i just <laughs> left a program of like 120 plus so oh wow yeah yeah so it's good it's exciting because yeah. you know the more people i add or the more people that kind of know me as the the drama teacher and aren't of the old guard. Yeah. But, but it's also a little daunting. It's like, where do you start with this? So I'm super busy, you know, cause of work related stuff too. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that uh, we're dealing with now is that we just made the announcement earlier this week that our fall semester is going to be completely online. Mm-hmm. And so we're adjusting to that. Um, it's, it's, makes me very interested to hear about your experience thus far. I didn't know you were already in classes. Yeah. And, and I guess, I mean, part of me is like, I guess the expectation that I had was if you're in class in a zoom, you know, setting your camera should be on so that I just like, I could, so I could see you just like 
you know, if we were in class, I could see you. Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't considered, of course, it's a very, you know, kind of thoughtful perspective to have in saying, you know, not everyone wants to be on camera. That's true. I, I mean, you know, Joe, in my experience in 10 years as a sub, I mean, I, I feel like I was really successful at that job. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it was, it was all about what made me successful in that position for 10 years was all about presence and reading my ability to read a room. Right. You know, like I could do where, where I think some teachers that I've known, you know, might struggle with, um, they might be excellent teachers, excellent at lesson planning and all that stuff, but they might struggle with classroom management. Mm-hmm. Um, classroom management is like, I can do it in my sleep. Like it's, right. you know, it, it's, it's like breathing for me. So, um, yeah, like being in a zoom setting, I feel like would almost kind of be taking away my strengths, you know, like I, I'm not in person and I can't really read the room because it's a virtual setting. So there's mm-hmm. not that like live energy exchange, you know? Yeah, no, it's, it's tough. And that first day, like all the, all the, the stagecraft kids were like, I just want to build stuff. And I, I finished the day so tired and so like questioning my decision and knowing that, you know, just the simple fact that it's not two hours away makes it the right decision. Yeah. But wondering, am I going to be uncomfortable in this job for the rest of my career? Like, is this going to be, you know, and then on top of it, you know, I hate to say it this way. So you have to listen to the whole thing (laughs) before you judge me. Um, This population of students are, are very disadvantaged. It's like 92 to 95% free and reduced lunch, which means these are the kids that all qualify to have food yeah. Provided for them by the school because their families just don't make enough to feed them. Right. So, and, and they have the reputation, although the school and the students have been trying to get rid of the rep- reputation that not only are they low achievers, but they're just non-achievers. And now you're throwing them into an online setting where what they're kind like a class that they would be excited to be in like stagecraft where they can kind of just build stuff and feel like they're working with their hands and that's the kind of kids I'm getting in that class. Mm-hmm. Now they're stuck in front of a computer with some guy talking to them about theater. Well, I don't care about theater. I just want to build stuff. And, and so by the end of the day, I was so defeated and so exhausted because I'm like, I don't know what to do with these kids. And I'm not, I mean, I, I love this kind of population. I mean, I worked at central juvenile hall when I was in college. Like I, I, I yeah. love, I love, taking underdogs and giving them opportunities that they wouldn't normally have. And I, I love the fact that the school is um, acknowledging that they are underdogs and making it a strength and not a weakness. Mm-hmm. But how do you do that when you can't connect with the kids? And I feel very much like I can't connect with these kids. The second day was a lot better. I, I, I just, I went in, you know, when you've been teaching as long as I have, you're kind of like, all right, this lesson, lesson didn't go well. Yeah. How do we fix it for tomorrow? Yeah. And I went in and I said, guys, I'm not apologizing for not being able to build. We just can't. And so I'm not yeah. going to keep apologizing for it. It's the, the reality we're living in. Yeah. And I can promise you when we get back on co- campus, if you want to come in and build something, even if you're not in the class, we will make it happen. Oh, that's great. Yeah. But we've got to figure something out. And so I started kind of 
trying to give them hands-on stuff that they could do from home and give them options of like, how, how can, how can you build something at home? Do you have cardboard? Do you have tin cans that you guys have recycled? Get it out of the recycling. Like let's ups, let's upcycle what we're going to work with. That's awesome. Yeah. So I think they were a little bit more receptive, but the only thing you can judge it on is, you know, how many goodbye, Mr. Hogan's you get in chat. (laughs) Like, that's it. Wow. Like, you, you you really have no idea if they're sitting there rolling their eyes. You have no idea if they're engaged. You have no idea if they're even there or if they've just kind of, like, backed away from the computer and are playing on a, a video console. Like, you have no idea. So, so is having the camera off something that you're going to, like, you're okay with and you're going to allow to continue? Well, we just don't have a choice because they are minors. And so, and they're minors in their home. So you can't require them to turn on camera. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's a privacy issue. And so you don't want, you know, if they want to turn on their camera, then that's awesome. And I, I keep encouraging. And I think as time goes on, people will, will start feeling more comfortable turning on their camera. But I mean, I haven't even gotten to how that's going to affect the theater one class. Like how do you do scene work when people aren't turning on their camera? You can't see what they're doing. I mean, you're not even putting able to put names to faces. No, no, I don't know who these kids are. And I, and, and that's one of the things I tell them. I'm like, I know you don't want to turn on your cameras and I'm not going to force anybody, but just keep in mind, I don't want to run into you on campus when we go back and not have the first clue of who you are. Yeah. I'm sure you've so, probably thought of this already, but I mean, it's probably going to seem kind of like a, like a table reading, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, how, and again, I'm sure you've probably thought of this, but how cool would it be to have the stage crew be like the Foley crew mm-hmm, where they're mm-hmm. like making sound effects and like providing, you know what I mean? Like almost like if you're, you're putting on a radio play now instead of a, a stage play. Exactly. And that's what we're going to try and do. I'm, I'm looking at shows to see what we can do via online. And, you know, there are a lot of very creative authors out there that are taking advantage of this opportunity and making plays that you can put on from home while yeah. social distancing. Yeah. So, you know, it's, I am very, I'm still very excited about this. Job. Yeah. Cause now the production crew can start to build things that are going to make the sounds that they need to be, to make. So mm-hmm. like, you know, instead of just building something that's, you know, going to be used for whatever it's like, Oh, we need rain sound. How can we do that? Like, you know, what do you have around you that you can build or that you can use to make something? Right. Exactly. Cool. Yeah. So we're doing that. But, and then also on top of that, it's, Four hours of talking at a computer from eight to 12, like every day. And, and I mean, I'm used to getting to school and having that first block off because that was always my prep to kind of just collect myself and know it's like at eight o'clock I hit the ground running and I can't stop until 12. (laughs) Right. Like there's like, yes, I have 10 minute blocks or 10 minute passing periods, which you're like, well, you don't have to go anywhere. That's, that's plenty of time. Yeah. It's not when you have to set up a zoom meeting and have to make sure that all of your stuff is typed up to be submitted through Google classroom. And if you didn't wow. do it the night before, like, so it's just providing a lot of challenges. I'm very excited to be at this school. I'm very excited to be working. I will be very excited for COVID to be done and over with so that I can go back to doing the job the way I know how to do it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy because it's, it's even like, 
this is what teaching is going to be for now. Mm-hmm. And people that got into teaching, like this is not necessarily what you signed up for. You yeah. know what I mean? So if, if teaching, if the concept of teaching had been presented as you're going to, you know, talk to a laptop for four hours and this is, you know, how many teachers, current teachers would have said, yes, that's what I want to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it's just like a huge shift in, in, in your, the rhythm of your life. Like, just like how you, your, your job is different now. Like your job is not really your job, what it was. Right. Right. Exactly. And I mean, you, you're, I mean, you know me, Ray, I, I wear t-shirts strategically. Like I wear things that will get people to comment on what I am into. Yeah. Um, it says a lot about me. Like I'll wear a t-shirt that has one of my like most popular t-shirts when I was at my old school was um, a one that combined the Marvel characters from Avengers and the starter Pokemon from the original <laughs> Pokemon series. And, and people would go, Oh my God, I love that shirt because they could, they, they knew what both franchises were mm-hmm. and even if they didn't love both, the, the the cleverness of putting those together would get people excited. And all of a sudden you have something to talk to them about or something to bond. Like either they start talking to you about Pokemon or they start talking to you about Marvel movies. And not only do you not have time for that because, you know, there's not that time where you're just kind of randomly waiting around for people to finish things. You never know when people have finished things. You don't know if they need more time unless you ask. Mm-hmm. And, and so you, you're not making those connections. I think the most connection I got from the stagecraft kids were when I, cause the second lesson I did was, all right, make, how would you make a set? How would you design a set to portray the space you're in right now? Mm-hmm. Like, would you do it straight on? What, what angle would you be looking at it from? If you were the audience, where would they be seated? And then what is essential in that space for you to, um, get your point across and what could you take out? Like what is not sending the message you would want in that space? And, and so I'm sitting there going, you know, I'd keep this picture of the Avengers behind me. I, I would keep these pop figures of Scooby-Doo. And it was my way of kind of trying to tell them a little bit about myself without just sitting there and saying, hi, let me tell you all of my interests so that we can maybe connect on some level. Right. Right. God, this <laughs> sounds so overwhelming as I'm listening to you. It, it's it's just exhausting. And and then you're done and you're like yesterday I was done at 12, went to lunch and and the last 2 hours of the day are supposed to be like prep and I sat down on um on the couch and I fell asleep. <laughs> like I woke yeah. up and I was like, I just slept through the last two hours of my work day. This is not good. Yeah. I, you know, I have a lot of teacher friends and, uh, you know, I respect them all so much, um, anyway. And just to see like them sharing, like all the adjustments that they're making and all the work, like teachers have been hard at work all summer preparing mm-hmm. for virtual teaching. Like mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many posts I've, I've read, where, you know, they're going into details of all the things that they're learning. Um, I have one teacher friend who I won't, I won't share her name because her Facebook feed is set to friends only. So I'm assuming, you know, this is not for the world, but I just want to read a couple of posts. Um, 
<laughs> One of them says, pretty pleased with myself. I learned how to embed a PDF with clickable links and a YouTube video in the Schoology discussion board. I figured out the general structure of my online lessons. I figured out how to embed my Bitmoji classroom with clickable links into Schoology. I figured out that I will use updates for weekly agenda and have daily agendas for live days at the top of the course. Anyway, none of this makes sense unless you're a teacher who also uses Schoology. I'm not super techie. I'm okay. I can learn stuff pretty easily, but I don't have advanced knowledge, which is typical of my generation. And I'm like, whoa, like what was all that? Like, I, I right, right. And then this one from just the other day, as a teacher, I cannot even count the number of hours I have spent this week preparing to teach next week. That, that has been my priority. This weekend, I will be creating a bunch of videos of my lessons so absent students can review. I will be creating a video explaining how to navigate out LMS. I don't know what that is. I will be creating a video explaining my lesson structure. I will be creating videos explaining some common assignment types. Uh, assignment types. I will be creating an outreach schedule for phone calls to absent or struggling students. I will be scheduling time aside to take a deeper look at my students with IEPs and students learning English as a second language. And the entire time during distance learning, I'll be trying to improve community building. This is the teacher life. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. I mean, that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good rundown of what you're, we're having to do. I mean, <laughs> attendance alone, my options for attendance, I don't have absent tardy for attendance anymore. I have attend, um, um, what's the, what's the term they use? At, a, attended synchronous lesson, which means they're there when you're teaching. Mm. Did asynchronous work, meaning they may not have shown up, but they did do the work that you posted on mm. the Google Classroom, um, had one-on-one -on -one contact with them, meaning that they either emailed you or contacted you in some way and explained why they weren't doing the first two, mm -hmm. parent, parent called to let you know what was going on, or they communicated to you some way that they had tech problems. It was five different choices. Gosh. And you have to go through and you have to figure out while you're teaching, because you don't want them just sitting there in the room in silence. Yeah. You have to figure out, well, like, when am I going to do this? And how am I going to do this? And how do I keep track of this? And that's just attendance. <laughs> that's the first <laughs> thing. That's something that should take you two minutes at the beginning of class. Is everybody here? Awesome. Let's keep going. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're thinking about a major concern for me is how... Um, to keep a student's attention mm -hmm. because, you know, as an admissions counselor, I'm accustomed to traveling to a high school, whether it's local or in another state, um, visit, you know, walking into a classroom, uh, being introduced by the teacher, setting up my presentation equipment, um, and then beginning my presentation on Laguna College of Art and Design and in general, being an artist and going to art school. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I walk in again, same thing like being a sub. I can read the room. I can feel the energy in the classroom. I know what adjustments I have to make. Should I be more jokey? Should I be less jokey? You know, how far can I push, you know, the, 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 the level of humor uh, in order to keep them engaged? Am I losing one side of the room? You know what I mean? Like, do I yeah. have to project my voice a little bit so the students in the back can perk up and, you know, engage? All this stuff I'm doing in real time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And now, <laughs> now it's like, we're, we're still figuring out how it's going to work. Like, okay. So you're a teacher, Joe, and mm -hmm. you have, you're hosting a zoom 
session, a Zoom chat, right? Mm-hmm. So you get to control how, you know, what the students can do in terms of their, their Zoom chat. Like, yeah, you're sharing your screen, I'm assuming. Um, you're, you know, uh, um, you're able to see, you know, the screens if you want to see all the other screens of the students. Now, if you're inviting me into your classroom and I'm going to be giving a presentation to these students, does this mean that, like, I have to rely on you to set, make the settings, adjust the settings for my use, right? Mm-hmm. Like if I want to share my screen with students, you have to enable me to do that. Right. Right. And then I'm thinking like, as the video's playing, like normally I would be standing off to the side while the slides are going, but I don't want to just be talking for a few minutes. It's this disembodied voice <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> with mm-hmm. like a slide on the screen. You know what I mean? And like yeah. students, like, so are students able to see me? Are they not? What, I, what I'm working on right now is trying to set up, um, a, a green screen function. I think Zoom has a green screen function mm-hmm. where you can, the, the slides can be the backdrop behind me and I can, my face can still be on screen, but behind me, you would see the slides. Yeah. And so I, we're, we're, we're adjusting all of our slides to kind of make like, like, like uh, negative space, you know, for, mm-hmm. for us mm-hmm. to be on the screen at the same time as the information slides are on the screen. And then part of it is we show a video and we talk over the music in the video. So it's like, is the music in the video going to be at the same volume as my voice? Is there or are they w- even going to be able to hear it? Exactly. Is there a way for me to lower the, the volume on the video that they're watching while still like keeping the volume of my voice high? I don't know. Like we're figuring all this out right now. It's so much. And that's assuming that the teacher that you're doing the Zoom call with knows what to do with zoom exactly. to make any of that happen. Exactly. And yeah, it's, it's just, so, and uh, there's other teacher. The the other thing that's really hard to start this way and, and to start a completely new job this way is that I am completely by myself all day. Like there's no teacher that I can go next door to and ask questions of. Right. And I've met some really great teachers. One, the music, um, the choir director took me around and showed me all the theater spaces, you know, when I was on campus and we were social distancing, but you know, he, he, he took the time out of his schedule to say, Hey, this is what, this is what you've got to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't see him every day. I can't check in with him except through text messages right. and I haven't met half the people on my campus. I've gone from a, a, faculty and staff of like no more than 30 people to one of, you know, probably 50 or 60. And I know five. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> it's, it's just, the, just like, it, it, like I, 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 I sound dour. I know. I'm sorry. I, I am very excited about this new job. It is a dream come true with the performance spaces. Yeah. I'm glad that I'm finally just teaching theater. But when you stop and think about the the ridiculousness of trying to teach in a pandemic, it, yeah. it's, this is not something I would have ever pictured. And it comes with a lot of baggage that I just didn't think I didn't think about. Sure. I mean, I'm an artist and I'm like making paintings and I'm like, when is anyone going to see this art? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like even like our our art show, when our art show is going to happen again, where you get a bunch of people in a small gallery, you know what I mean? (laughs) Mm -hmm. When is that ever going to happen? Like, am I just making art for social media now? Like, is it just for Instagram and do people still, are people going to buy art? Like, you know, it's such a luxury. It's such a, you know, disposable, income part of you know for a lot of people 
uh, um, is, you know, is, is what purchasing art is about. So yeah. Who knows? Yeah. I mean, it, it is exciting in the fact that, that like we're in unexplored territory and we can do, we're, we're learning how to do all these new things. And I think it's very good, but you know, it, it can be very overwhelming at times. Yeah. So hopefully it'll, hopefully we'll keep getting, you know, positive vibes. This is also the first time I've been part of uh, an actual school district because mm-hmm. the last place I worked was just kind of a bunch of different schools that were run by the same organization and they didn't really have we didn't really have any contact with any of the other schools yeah where i'm getting like district emails where they're like woohoo you guys are awesome good first week and i'm like who are you people <laughs> like, I don't know what to, like this is awesome and thank you for the support who are you <laughs> that's great yeah i mean that's I feel like bosses everywhere are, are my boss is doing the same thing where he's just sending us like all these inspirational quotes and like, you know, just reminding us of how much they appreciate us and, you know, the adjustments we're making and the hard work that we're doing. So, yeah, I mean, it does kind of have this sense of like, we're all in this together, mm-hmm. you know, Absolutely. and, and we're going to help each other out and support each other through this. Um, and I think, you know, Man, if I learned one thing throughout my 10 years of working at high schools, it's that young people are so damn adaptable. Mm-hmm. They are so damn adaptable, you know, that it's just before you know it, they have, you know, they've adjusted because that's just what they do. And it's usually me going like, oh, give me a minute. Like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> I'm struggling with this. And you're already like two steps ahead going like, okay, this is what it is. Let's do it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely going to be interesting. Oh, I can't wait to chime in and share once my recruitment season starts. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to hear how it's going for you. Uh, you know, this is completely unexplored territory. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll for, see how it goes. <laughs> for us, it's going to be in September. So far, we're still, I'm still getting to, you know, have my normal work day and um, just binge geeky stuff and just, you know, kind of do all that at home. Um what have you been binging? I rewatched um, Watchmen on HBO, the the nine part series that from from I was was it earlier this year or last year? I think it was last year. Um, that was amazing to rewatch because it was so densely like the storytelling was so dense the first time around that it was really cool to rewatch it. I tried. I knew I was gonna rewatch it at some point, and I tried to give myself enough time so that when I did come back to it, it still felt somewhat like new, like I was revisiting it, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that was pretty amazing. I, I, I binged those nine episodes like in two or three days. Nice. Um, and then right now I'm watching a series, another series on HBO called I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Well, that sounds interesting. This is a a, a, a true crime six part documentary show. I love true crime. What is it called again? It's called "I'll Be Gone in the Dark." I'm only on episode three. Uh, it is, and I mean, it's six parts, so I'm, I guess I'm going to be halfway done after episode three. It's one of the best. I'm not super into true crime. This is one of the best things that I've seen. All right, that's awesome. That's going on my list for like tonight. <laughs> it is it is really well done and it's HBO so it's going to be good. Um it's it's revolving around um Michelle McNamara mm-hmm. as she writes a book about and investigates the Golden State Killer. Okay. And I had heard a little I was aware of Michelle McNamara before 
uh, because I'm a huge fan of Patton Oswalt. Mm-hmm. And uh, this was his wife that passed away suddenly a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And I knew that she was a true crime writer. Um, I, I really, I wasn't, I, at that time, I wasn't aware of or hadn't really been in, um, visited her website, her true crime website or any of her books, but I was aware of who she was um, and, you know, heard all of the, you know, terrible stories about when she passed suddenly. Um, and apparently this book that she was writing was published, was completed and published. Um, what's the word uh, I'm thinking of? Post, post-mortem. Thank, thank you. Yeah. Um, and it was finished by her researcher and by Patton Oswalt as well. Um, and so this, this HBO documentary series is based on that and holy shit, it's dark as fuck, Joe. So just know yeah. that, you know, like I, I mean, which is true of most true crime stuff. Right. Uh-huh. And I've, I've had a couple of past relationships with people that were super into true crime. So <laughs> that was always kind of like my exposure <laughs> to it. So it's uh-huh. kind of like, you know, I like it. I'm not like crazy fan of it, but it's, it's like, I know the genre, you know? So mm-hmm. I know, mm-hmm. kind of know what I'm in for. And uh, yeah, this is, I highly recommend it. I'm not even halfway through it yet. And I'm already like highly recommending it to people. That's awesome. Like I'm, I, I'm going to have to figure out how to do the HBO thing. Cause we don't currently subscribe, mm-hmm. but that might be, you know, that might be something that gets us to at least do a trial for. Yeah. A while. Shout out to my sister, Valerie. I use her HBO max subscription. Um, <laughs> and I have a Roku now, so it's easy to access before I was paying for my own HBO subscription through Amazon prime, mm-hmm. just because, um, if I did that through Amazon and I already had Amazon app on my TV, it was just easier to access it that way because I didn't right. have the HBO app on my TV and I didn't want to have to hook up a laptop every time I watched HBO. Right. So now, you know, I got rid of that and I'm using Val's subscription. So thanks, Val. Nice. Yeah. So that's what I've been doing. Very cool. Well, I'm excited to get on to our feature for today. So let's jump out and uh, do a quick commercial break and then we'll come back. And we are going to be talking about all sorts of X-Men stuff. Yes. Like it's going to be all <laughs> X-Men all the time for the next part of this show. So, all right, we'll be back. When toxic culture has you down. When you're just looking to laugh and have fun. Kick back and enjoy watching a video game. Or just make some new friends. It's time to visit the geek to geek Media Network. A community of podcasters, streamers, and bloggers. Well, more of a family than a community. All dedicated to geeking out about the things we love. Things like... Video games! Star Wars! Comics! Movies, K-pop, Disney Plus, Keanu, Keanu Reeves, New, or whatever our community decides is the next best thing. That's right. We have a great online community on Slack and Discord where we chat about our weekly geekery with listeners and viewers. And each other. Yep. And each other in real time. And we can't wait for you to join us. So come check us out at geek2geekmedia.com. And escape toxic fandom for something much more... Keanu? Yes, Keanu. And we're back. And okay, we're very excited because anytime we get to go and do a deep dive on X-Men, Ray and I are all about that. All about that. (laughs) So, um, Ray, why don't you introduce us to what got us onto this topic today? Okay. Well, I've spoken about my love of um, film 
film criticism YouTube <laughs> before mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and how much time I spend watching, you know, all these essays, these really thoughtful analytical essays about movies and movie making and writing and all that stuff. Um, and there is a whole bunch of these channels that are dedicated to geek properties. Um, and one of my favorites, maybe my favorite of all is Nando V movies. And I've mm-hmm. talked about him before and his channel on Geektitude. Yeah. Well, Nando last year, um, Nando, c- uh, contacted a bunch of his fellow YouTubers and decided and proposed this series called One Marvelous Scene. And each YouTuber got to choose their favorite scene in any Marvel movie and basically write an essay on it, make make a YouTube essay on that scene, kind of breaking it down. And it was awesome, and it was super uh, popular. Uh, it might be how I ended up coming across Nando in the first place. And this year, he decided to revisit the same idea, but this time centered around all the Fox X-Men movies. Mm -hmm. So this series is called One Excellent Scene. Nice. And not only did he invite a bunch of his YouTube friends to to make their own video on on their favorite X-Men scene, but he also opened it up to all YouTubers. So anyone that wanted to make their own uh, YouTube film, short about this could choose a scene make it email him or dm him and he would add it to the playlist so that's actually been really interesting joe i don't know how many how how deep down the playlist you made it because <laughs> it goes on and on and on it does that, you know everyone's sort of jumping on on this uh really cool series but um um yeah, it's it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, no, I I made it a little bit of a ways down. I didn't, and then I started just kind of skipping around because after a while, you see the same scene over and over again, and I'm like, yes, it's a good scene. That's <laughs> true. See something new. That's so true. Yeah. Um. So I watched a bunch of them. Like I have YouTube on my television. It's set to autoplay, so I can literally just go to the the playlist, hit play, and I'm like washing dishes, I'm making dinner, I'm eating, whatever. And I'm like watching these cool X-Men videos. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah. Where do you want to get started on this? <laughs> well, let's talk about, let's talk about the one that Nando focused on because I agree with him wholeheartedly and it probably would have been mine if so many people didn't do it. But he talks about the scene, uh, the, the attack on, on Xavier's mansion in X2. That honestly probably would have been my scene as well. I remember bursting into tears in the theater Mm -hmm. during this scene. That's how impacted I was by this scene. Yeah, I would agree. (laughs) There, there were, there were two things that I think allowed me to move off of that scene for my, my favorite scene, because there were two things I was disappointed. And then we'll go out and talk about all the wonderful things that, are about that scene. But my two things were, is that there were a few nods to characters. You would probably never, you're never going to see again in a X-Men film. At least that's what we thought back then. Yeah. Um, You know, you had siren. um, It was, I think the first time you really got to see uh, shadow cat do anything. It Mm -hmm. introduced Colossus into the X movies. Yeah. So I was like excited about that, but you had so many other characters 
and they were just people. They were just they that you know there is a perfect place to introduce the new mutants because you don't have to use them again. Yeah. It's just you show their powers and let them do their thing, and then they all either get caught or escape, and you're done. Yeah. So that was my one my one little thing that was a little a little disappointing, and because it was such a good scene. I just kind of wanted to follow those characters. Like I would have been <laughs> totally happy following all the different students and all the different directions that they would go. I feel like there's an untold story there. That's you're describing an X-Men comic book. Yeah. That's what the comic would have been. Yeah. It would have followed Chris Claremont would have followed all of these characters. Yeah. <laughs> so those are my only two disappointments with that scene. But other than that, it's, it's a friggin' amazing scene. Wait, what was the second disappointment? The first one was that you didn't get to follow all these characters that, Oh, was it that um, they didn't introduce new, new, uh, the new mutants? Well, that just that they, they used a lot of characters that didn't really correspond with anybody in the X universe. Like it was a missed oh, opportunity oh, to be like, yeah. here are all your, like everybody's going to find their favorite character somewhere in the crowd. Right. As opposed to just having a kid randomly clicking his eyes and that like changed the channels on the TV. Yeah, exactly. Was that a character? Is that is that a reference to a, to an X-Men character? It might be, but I really don't like not one that I would readily know. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, no, I get that. I mean, I I was so struck by this scene when I first saw it in the theater because it was the first time in my life that I really felt like I was watching a comic book on the screen. Yeah. Like even with like, you know, obviously Tim Burton's Batman 89 was was a Tim Burton movie. And even as a kid, I kind of felt that like, oh, this is a version of Batman. And that's mm -hmm. cool, you know? And um even like the first X-Men movie, like they're wearing black leather, like, you know, there's it's like, okay, this is a version of the comic book that I grew up loving. But the fact that in this scene, like everyone's in their like day clothes. Mm-hmm. Wolverine's in a tank top and jeans like that makes sense. Yes. Yeah. You know, like that's, I've seen Wolverine in the comics like that many, many times. And just to see him go into his like, kind of like violent, aggressive, like berserker light kind of mode. I was so happy. Yeah. <laughs> it was, there was so much joy welling up in me that I burst into tears. And I remember my girlfriend at the time, just sort of like turning and looking at me going like, Oh my God. Like she, thankfully, you know, um, she loved me. So she wasn't like ridiculing me. <laughs> I think she was more like seeing the kid in me just sort of come out, you know, like unexpectedly. And I just was like, I just couldn't handle it. I was like, Oh my God. Like this is like when he like attacks that guy in the, in, in the kitchen and like shoves his claws into his chest. That's such a violent, sudden act that you're like up until this point in in x-men one and you know the beginning of of x2 that hadn't been an ingredient it was always no. sort of like pulled back sort of like sanitized well and it was always that, the it was the saturday morning cartoon that we all love where where basically wolverine growls a lot and and kills robots because yes. that's all he could ever use his claws on yes because they thought that if he used it on anything living, it would traumatize the children watching the cartoon. Yes. And granted, there's no blood in this scene. No. So, so, you know, but, but they did it all with, you know, Hugh Jackman's amazing performance, the sounds, the growling, the yelling, the facial expressions. And, and one, 
one amazing detail that still sticks with me to this day is is when he and he rushes at this guy in the in the kitchen and pins him against the fridge and drives his claws into the guy's chest and you see the surprise on the guy is like the surprise of all of us like i was like holy did they just do that like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what the fuck and then he pulls his claws out of the guy the guy slumps to the ground and the little claw marks are in the fridge Mm-hmm. That detail, I was like, hold they're, they're showing you like this went through the guy. Like, God, I fu- I'm getting hyped now just fucking talking about it. Like, that was a and then everything after that, like you said, like all the kids, that was from the comic. Like fucking uh uh Colossus coming out and like attacking and Wolverine jumping down and like doing the classic pose as he jumped off the second story. All of that stuff. He fucking like claws the dude in the in the in the foot, and then you just see like the shadow, and you hear the gun, and you know like Wolverine's just going crazy. Well, and they 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 it had a little bit of that alien element where you know you're not necessarily seeing Wolverine do a yes. lot of the stuff. You're yes. just seeing the aftermath, and yes. that's almost just they Nando talked about how you know it's probably one of the best movie versions of Colossus because it's just this kind of epic introduction to the character. Yes. And you don't have to see him pick the guy up and throw him. You just see the aftermath of the powers. So and, true. And it's, it's, there was a, a, a less is more feel to a lot of the decisions that were made in that scene. You know, that reminds me of a classic iconic Wolverine scene from, um, the the dark phoenix saga do you remember do you know which scene i'm talking about you're gonna have to remind me he's in the sewers and -hmm. you think because because shaw has increased his mass to the point that he falls through all the levels of the building they're in yeah i remember that panel specifically and you think that's it wolverine's gone and then it and then when you think like the X-Men have been like vanquished at the end of the comic book, you're like, oh no, like they just got decimated by the Hellfire Club. And then the last scene you see Wolverine, his hand reach up out of the sewer water, and he pulls himself up and he says, Okay, now it's my turn. And you're just like, and, and then the tag is Wolverine alone. And I'm getting mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. hyped right now, just remembering this classic comic uh, 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 uh X-Men comic uh from God. And and it, it had that feeling of like, yeah. okay, here comes Wolverine, like the savage Wolverine character we have not witnessed yet. That's what that, like, that was for me, like a direct, I didn't think of it consciously at the time, but the feeling was like a direct connection to that feeling of reading that comic for the first time as a kid. Yeah. I, I think one of the things I enjoyed the most about the excellent scene playlist is that people are going through and analyzing it the way we analyze it and looking at all these little details that you don't necessarily think of when you're watching it because it's done so well that you don't understand why you like it (laughs) until somebody goes and says, this is why you like it. And you're like, Oh yeah, that's exactly why I like it. That's what I love about film YouTube. Like that's what has me addicted to film YouTube. Um, And some of these YouTubers, I mean, he did reach out to, you know, some pretty popular YouTubers, but I don't know a lot of them. Um, definitely Patrick H. Willems is one of my favorites as well. 
He, I don't know if you watched that one. Patrick, I did watch actually, that one, yeah. He decides rather than picking a scene from a movie, he picked a comic book, which is so Patrick and like really fucking awesome to like highlight the comics, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and he picked, you know, the, the first couple pages from Grant Morrison's run on new X-Men. And, and it analyzes the first panel. It's a splash page and yes. basically says, this is why this is the best panel in all of X-Men history. And new X-Men really had a huge impact on me. I had been collecting. Did you, did you read new X-Men as it came out? Like I did? I didn't. I okay. I had I think I think that was after they had killed off Colossus and brought him back and I was done. Mm. <laughs> I was not done. You're like you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna sacrifice my favorite character and then bring him back with no like and completely destroy any reason for him to die in the first place. No, yeah. I'm <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I I remember just getting sort of bogged down by this is towards the end of my like single issue collecting phase mm-hmm. where I just, I was getting really invested in certain creative teams and then out of nowhere, they would just be switched out mm-hmm. or, or they, or their run would be interrupted by a like company wide crossover event. And I was just like, come on, like, let me, yeah. let me enjoy these, like finish a story, you know, like just start a story, you know, take us through it and finish it. And that was, you know, shortly after that, I switched to um, only collecting graphic novels. Yeah. But because uh, I was really invested in the whole, I think his name was Steven Siegel and uh, Joe Kelly run on the X-Men. Chris Bacallo, I think is how you pronounce his name, was my favorite artist at the time. And he was drawing X-Men. And I loved Carlos, P- Carlos Pacheco. And I think he was drawing the other X-Men issue, uh, a title. And um they switched it out and I was really pissed off. And it was around that time that Grant Morrison and, and Frank quietly were given um, new X-Men. And it was so interesting because it's a, it's actually like a, a almost a take on the movie version of the X-Men. Cause they're wearing black leather. They're definitely updated. Beast is different. Um, and I just love Grant Morrison's writing. I'm also, I mean, I've talked about this. I'm not one of those, like, you know, canon devoted comic book readers i've never right. been that way you know like right. tell me an interesting story and i'm fine with you know changes that you're going to make to classic characters i'll go with it and uh i was really happy that patrick willems covered uh that panel like you said um lessons from the screenplay is also at the top of this playlist and i love that youtube channel um he's very analytical in the way he kind of dissects the scenes that that he goes into it's a really it's one of the shorter videos but i really enjoyed it um yeah i don't know i made some notes i want to hear what else you have to say about this because i i made so i i watched these you know a couple weeks ago when you and i were supposed to record this this episode Mm -hmm. and i haven't rewatched them since but i'm just i'm going off my notes because i i jotted down a few notes uh as i was watching them well, I mean, do you want to like are are these notes on specific scenes because one of the things I'd like to do before we move on is I'd like to talk about like our our individual excellent scenes. Okay. Well, I and, think oh man. Okay, what else? What else? And then I'd also like to talk about like if you could take one scene from an X-Men comic book and turn it into a filmed scene, what would it be? Oh god. Okay. So I'll give you, so we can, we can, I'll give you time for, to let that percolate, but we yeah. can talk about some of the other ones. One of the what? ones that I, I, and I, this I had is kind of like the cherry on top, but we'll move it up a little bit. 
one that I kind of scrolled down and watched because, you know, this is not going to be any surprise to anyone at all, but one of them, number 20, one excellent scene, the doomed promise of the new mutants trailer. Oh, did you see that one? <laughs> I did. And so they, he, he talks about how the excitement of the new mutants coming out and that first trailer, which Ray, that trailer came out in 2017. It is now 2020. There have been, I counted them. There have been five different release dates. Oh my God. And, and we still don't have the movie. Um, And so he's talking about this and, and he says, you know, it's the excellent one, excellent trailer. And he talks about how the exciting thing about this trailer was that it was going to do something different with the franchise. It was going to do what we applaud the Marvel universe cinematic universe for doing. And that's not forcing every character into a four color comic book movie. Right. And they were going to say, let's look at, let's explore the horror genre with comic book characters. And, you know, for me, I was kind of like, I'm dubious because this is my favorite set of characters and I don't want you to fuck it up. Yes. But the very first time we heard it, we're like, but we like the idea of what you're doing. So we're listening. Yes. And so he was he, like, it was the, it was the unfulfilled promise of that trailer that he considers like his one excellent scene. Oh, that's so heartbreaking, Joe. It is. Well, <laughs> But everybody said that it's moved back to that direction. So, you know, we may get that. And like I said, I've gotten I've gotten the the scary thing called hope <laughs> the last couple of months that if we ever do see this, that it will have recovered some of the the original intention behind it and it won't be as horrible as I'm afraid it's gonna be. But part of this was, and I had to look it up. He talked about, and I don't know how I didn't know this, he talked about all the different movies that were canceled after the um, after the merger with Fox, X-Men, and, and Marvel Disney. Yeah. And so I, I had heard of the Magneto movie. That's gone. X-Men Origins Magneto. So we weren't mm-hmm. going to see that, which mm-hmm. I, I think that's fine. We've seen a lot of Magneto movies, and a lot of them have a take on his origin, or at least a yeah. part of his origin. Yeah. I don't know that we needed that. There was the X-Men Daredevil <laughs> Fantastic Four crossover, which I don't even know how that would have worked. <laughs> our, our favorite movie, Gambit, which, yes. you know, we know what happened with that. Yes. <laughs> Um, they were going to explore uh, Laura, which is the character in Logan, the um, X-23. Mm-hmm. Um, this this one I didn't know about, but it sounds awful. It was a um, – uh, what's, the, what's the actor's name? James Franco was going to do Multiple Man as a, a noir film. Oh, God, I would have loved that. I'm not a huge, I'm not a huge James Franco fan. And so I could just see it getting like very heady and full of himself. And now there's a lot of him. Like I just, it it was not appealing to me. (laughs) In defense of James Franco and curse you, Joe, for putting me in this position. (laughs) (laughs) In defense of James Franco, I am not a fan of James Franco, the persona. Mm-hmm. 
My favorite performances of his are where he ditches that. He's actually a pretty good actor. Mm -hmm. He just wants to play himself way too much. Right. And when he doesn't do that, he I really enjoy his performances, actually. So when I when you say James Franco as multiple man in a in a noir kind of movie, I you know, my assumption, I guess, or my hope is that he would he would play that character not as himself, but he mm -hmm. would really get into Jamie Madrox and like how weird Jamie was. You know what I mean? I don't know if you ever read um uh what was it, X Factor? Especially while Peter David was writing it, you know. Jamie Madrox. I, I did. Yeah. He, well, character. I mean, the idea of the idea of a character who could split himself into multiple copies, but every copy is him. Like, it's not like, it's not like these are illusions. Like it really is. Every copy is him. And if one of those dies, it's like mm -hmm. a part of him dies and it messes with his mind. And it's yeah. such a crazy concept. You could have a lot of fun with it. I just, I, that's part of what would worry me with uh with the James Franco. I think he'd take it in the weird direction. Right, right. I'm just like, oh man, cue that up. I am totally down to watch that. Maybe also <laughs> because I know he's so into art, I kind of give him a pass a little bit. I don't know. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, God, some of these projects, man, Jesus, <laughs> it's, well, it's, a, it's a wonder anything good comes out. Well, and the the next one just kills me. It was a Kitty Pride. There was a Kitty Pride movie movie. <sighs> Oh, it, it actually had a script, Ray, and you know how much I love Kitty Pride. But it yeah. was it was going to be written by um, by Brian Michael Bendis, and it was going to be directed by Tim Miller, same Tim Miller who did Deadpool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and Miller Miller said, "I don't expect Marvel to call me and say, come do the X Men.' So I'm not waiting for that. I was really excited about my Kitty Pride movie." Damn. Fuck, I love that movie. It'll never happen. Oh. Like for somebody to be that excited about and just that broke that it's yeah. not going to happen. Um, so, you know, that's a, that's just disturbing. And then, the, of course, there was supposed to be an X-Force film, which nobody knows if that's actually going to happen or not. You know what, though? I mean, I, I guess I'm taking more of a an optimistic view on all this just it just makes me think of how much potential there is there right still just the it just reinforces you know just the the the, the galaxy of stories and characters that marvel can pull from whenever they're ready to get the x-men show on the road yeah and i think one of the things they're going to be waiting for is i don't think they're going to rush it because when they don't have any more avenger stories to go through <laughs> Then they can open up the the X Men bag of worms, and it's and you know all all bets are off. They've got a whole new pantheon to pull from. I can't remember in which video it was that this was covered, but they were talking about. I mean, a lot of you're right. A lot of these YouTubers pick the same scenes or or the same movies. Mm -hmm. And someone mentioned at one point that I think it was for Days of Future Past, in in an original in an early version. Um, it was not going to be Hugh Jackman playing the younger Wolverine. It was going to be uh, Tom Hardy. Yeah, I'd heard that. Yeah, which I think Tom Hardy is a would be a great choice for Wolverine. <laughs> well, it's it's actually the um, uh, Hugh Jackman endorsed replacement for him. Yeah, oh, is it still like to this day? Like that? Well, I I haven't heard anybody else thrown out there, but but uh -huh. when when. 
Hugh Jackman knew he wasn't going to be doing it anymore. He's like, Tom Hardy, that's who should replace me. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I agree with that. And it's funny because I, you know, I'm not crazy. I, one thing I love about Marvel's casting choices is that they don't cast like super major, like, you know, uh, uh, movie stars other than Robert Downey Jr. You know, like mm-hmm. everyone else is sort of, and even Robert Downey Jr. was like, not like the name, you know, Iron Man partly kind of brought him back to like full glory and put him on this other pedestal. Right. You know, um, Tom Hardy's a pretty major movie star already. Um, but yeah, that just sounds like a great fit. I also kind of wanted Kit Harrington from, you know, Jon Snow from Game of Thrones to be, have a chance to be Wolverine. Yeah, he could, he could do it. Yeah, definitely. Um, God. So, okay. You just, wow. That was a lot. These are, these are my notes from watching all of these videos and then we can get into like choosing our own favorites and stuff. Yes, please, please. Um, my first note is Logan is a goddamn fucking masterpiece. (laughs) 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 Like a lot of people pick Logan, a scene from Logan. Right. And just watching these, these different, um, takes, on, on Logan and, and a lot of people also picked first class. Yeah. Those seem to be the two, the, the three, the three top ones seem to be X two first class and Logan. Yes. Yes. And, and so it, like you said, it just, it just reminds you of, of the brilliance of some of these movies. Like mm-hmm. Logan is a masterpiece. Like that is, that is just great cinema period. Right. And I still think it, I still think it should have gotten some Academy award nods. Yeah, no kidding. They talk about ending on a high note, at least in his portrayal of the character, and like really doing these stories justice. They finally got it right with the last Wolverine story. And um, it's like you said, it's like watching something and loving it and not being quite sure why you loved it. You just know you did. And then watching this breakdown and going, oh, yeah, holy shit. Like they did so many things right. Right. Um, and, and for me, Logan is a, is a whole movie version of that one scene in X2 in the kitchen. (laughs) 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 And this time there's blood and it's gory as fuck. And it's what would happen if someone with Wolverine's abilities really did do the damage that, you know, is sort of portrayed or hinted at in in the comic books. Mm -hmm. Um, and then my, my second note which is about first class because like you said it it was also a popular choice first class got the closest to the potential of the x-men and is therefore a sentimental favorite among a lot of people yeah yeah i think first class the feeling of first class feels the most like those early you know uh classic claremont runs well somebody was talking about um uh, I'm trying to remember which one it was, but there was one where they were talking about the warm house. Yes. Book, yes. And how, how you create a place where there is safety and there's camaraderie and you explore the characters mm-hmm. and then you blow that apart. Yeah. That's exactly what they did in that movie. That was lessons from the screenplay. That was the, his one excellent scene was the attack on division X, which is the facility they're at before they go to the mansion. Mm hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And the way they deconstruct that and take that away from the characters, which kind of, which is a, again, a classic X-Men trope, right? It's yeah. to go on the run is to lose their resources and then be on the run. How many times have they done that? Oh God. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, first class for me, that's my favorite X-Men movie. And, and I think mm-hmm. it is absolutely a sentimental choice. I just, I love the energy. 
I love Matthew Vaughn as a filmmaker. Um, I love his whole aesthetic and the vibe that he brings to movies. Um, I think only Matthew Vaughn could make a movie like Kick-Ass work or yeah. could make a movie like um, Stardust work or could make a movie like, um, uh, oh God, what's the the Secret Service? Uh, um, the, the British uh, spies. Uh, oh, right. The Kingsman? Kingsman. You know, a property like that work. That's all Matthew Vaughn. And so I was also very happy to have someone else other than Brian Singer be allowed to make X-Men movies. <laughs> yes. And I think, you know, after X3, Matthew Vaughn came and brought all this, you know, life back into this this franchise. And then immediately it was taken away from him again and, and you know, given back to Singer to make um, Days of Future Past, which I know you you happen to like. I just, I can't. You know, I think I could enjoy Days of Future Past a lot more if it wasn't sort of tainted with the the idea of what could have been for me in my head. Yeah. Um, but yeah, first class for sure. Um, also, another note that I made, there are so many really good scenes scattered throughout a lot of bad X-Men movies. Yes. Like even in some of the bad movies, there's some really fun, really great scenes. And I think it took some of the, the you know, lesser known YouTubers to really dig deep and pull out some of those scenes. Yeah, well, because, I mean, just from a practical standpoint, if you're one of the people who's going to be like, I'm going to add my, my, my take on this to the, to the pool, you can't do what all the big names are doing. You have to dig for something that's going to make you stand out. Yeah. And so it kind of forced them to kind of look for different aspects that maybe nobody had really explored before yeah as shitty as x3 was (laughs) um it was the first time that we really got to see like a a cosmic powered being in a Mm -hmm. superhero movie really Mm -hmm. you know gene gray turning into dark phoenix that was epic you know yeah uh and somebody covered that um you know a couple of seat wolverine's introduction from the first x-men movie that was that's iconic i mean that scene the way it's shot uh the way they introduced wolverine to us is is pretty fucking perfect mm-hmm. um so there's really cool a couple of them went into spoiler stuff from the comics that i skipped like um i'm really excited to dive into um oh god i can't think of the writer's name right now shit but um he was kind of brought in to revamp um the x-men titles at marvel Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh oh jonathan hickman and i heard so many good things when he started his run and i tried to jump on at the beginning and i just i fell behind too early too much and now i'm like damn it i missed that train so i gotta wait for the trades and i gotta wait for stuff to be on on uh marvel unlimited to catch up but somebody actually covers one of those uh uh stories which is awesome like directly from the comics um, yeah, there's just a lot of deep dives as you go further down the playlist, which is I thought was really cool. Yeah, I didn't look at a lot of the the later ones, but as I'm scrolling through the list, one of them that stood out, I don't know what they said about it, but just mentioning the scene gave me a little bit of a, a shiver. It was the, the X-Men cartoon, mm-hmm. uh, the morph, I don't feel anything. Do you remember when they brought back Morph? Yeah. 
<laughs> in that cartoon. Listen, as a kid, I didn't have any frame of reference for Morph from the comics. So I was so confused. <laughs> right, right. Well, and, and the thing was, it was like, he, but like, he was such a tragic character in the first two episodes. And to bring him back for children's cartoon yeah. where he had died and now he's back and he's taking revenge on the X-Men. I'm like, this is, this is not like thinking back on it. Like this is not children's stuff. Yeah. This is not children's stuff at all. It but did, Yeah. It didn't it, fit at all. And I remember being so confused as a kid going like, this doesn't feel like the cartoon that I've been watching. Right. It, it's when they, they, they weren't afraid to do, dark stories for this children's cartoon because they were telling stories that related somehow to big scenes in, yeah. in the comics. And I think that's just awesome. Yeah. One brave soul does a one minute um, video <laughs> on um, the, the X-Men team aboard the plane in, in the Wolverine uh, origin movie. <laughs> <which> is pretty <laughs> cool. Team X and the plane that, that whole banter yeah. before they, they sew up Deadpool's mouth. Right. Um, God, someone chooses the, the scene from X3 where Angel clips his wings off. Ooh, yeah. That was gruesome. I remember sitting through that going, oh, God, that just feels terrible. Um, oh, someone touches on the X-Men Evolution uh, a cartoon, which actually I'm, that's in my list of things to catch up with. So many people have been praising that, that X-Men Evolution series, animated series. Yeah, I've seen parts I'm, of it. I'm like, I got to watch that. <clears throat> <clears throat> yeah, there's just a lot of good stuff in this playlist. Um, another note that I made was um, that casting seems to be the secret weapon in a lot of these movies. Mm-hmm. A lot of these movies, even the Marvel movies, but like a lot of the X-Men movies, when they get a casting choice right, it sort of makes that role. And when they get a casting choice wrong, which they definitely did as well, yeah. it sort of just destroys any potential that that role has. Right. Right? Yeah, Absolutely. And as a Mar- and as an X Men fan, you can kind of tell right away. We we're like, ah, shit. They they. As <laughs> <laughs> soon as the name comes out, you're like, that's not going to work. That's not going to work at all. Yes, totally. Like, I'm a huge Ray Park fan. You know, just from from him playing Darth Maul in, in the Star Wars movies, and and him as Toad. I'm like, ugh. No, I don't know. You know, um, the dude, the wrestler who played Sabretooth in the first X Men movie. No, that's not. It's just not a good choice. That's not a good take on that character, you know. But then when you when you hear, um, oh God, what's the actor's name? And from what? Um, played Beast in the first, the the older Beast. <laughs> oh yeah, Kelsey Grammer. Kelsey Grammer. Like, <laughs> as soon as you hear that casting choice, you're like, I don't know how they're gonna make that work, but yes, absolutely <laughs> yes. Yeah, to me, that's one of those where like that's too obvious. They're not really gonna do it, are they? And then they did, and then it's like, is it too obvious to be pulled off? No, it's fucking no, it, perfect. Well. <laughs> Um, okay. So here's a question that I have for you, Joe. And you know what? Actually, let's save these questions for later on. I want to dig into our choices. Okay. Do you have a choice or do you want me to go first? Go first. Okay. So <laughs> you've already said, eh, it's not my favorite, but, um, I am a f- fan of days of future past. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I remember sitting in the theater, Matt looking at me like I was crazy because I was so excited about this and so hoping that they weren't going to ruin one of my favorite storylines in all of X-Men. And it opens up with the Sentinels attacking 
this little band of X-Men and you've got, you've got big name X-Men, not ones that we've been seeing before, but you've got, I mean, some, you've got Iceman, you've got Colossus, you've got Kitty Pride, who we already had El- Elaine Page's Kitty Pride at that point. Mm. Um, they, but they add Sunspot, they add Warpath, they add Blink, who is huge fan favorite. And one of my first, like I was very early on in my X-Men experience when Age of Apocalypse came out. So I have a huge love for that character. And I also mm-hmm. loved, um, the, is it the exiles that she led the team? Yes. Yeah. And so I'm huge fan of, of Blink and Bishop who could be done so poorly because he's, n- he's not a great character. Not a great character in the comic books, unless unless given the right, you know, he's had moments when somebody's actually written him well. Yeah. You've got all these characters, and they're being attacked by Sentinels, which is probably one of the most iconic X-Men villains you can possibly have. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there watching all of these characters <laughs> die. And as much as it's breaking my heart, I'm like, yes, this is what days of future past is about. It's about the futility of being a mutant. It's about fighting, even though, you know, you're not going to win. And it's this family that is working together. It's one of the few times you see them really use the power, each other's powers to their advantage. Yeah. Because in all the other movies, for the most part, it's look at the cool things Cyclops can do. Look at the cool things Wolverine can do. It's not look at the cool things the X-Men can do. Right, right. And so, and it's got a little bit of that panicked, gotta escape, flee for your lives feeling that that scene that everybody loves from X2 has. And it kind of all comes together and they all die until Kitty Pride and Bishop vanish and you're and Kitty's doing something you've never seen Kitty do. So you're like, what in the hell was that? Like yeah. I have no idea what happened. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're sure they're all dead. And then you find out that it's this struggle that they've had to die over and over and yeah. over and over again. And it's a nod to the fact that X-Men don't stay dead. It's a nod to uh, to the struggle that it's just always futile to be a, an X-Men. And that's all kind of just distilled into eight minutes of a movie. Yeah. And I was like, at that point when they come stepping out and they're all alive again, I was fine. I was fine with them. I, I had resigned myself to the fact that they're dead and that's okay because that's what this, this movie is supposed to be about. This movie is supposed to be about the, the death of mutants in society and complete, basically the death of society. And yes, this is the, this is the iconic days of future past walking through the, the tombstones moment, but it's not. And right. they, they rise up out of the, the ashes again and they're going to keep fighting. And to me, that is just so perfectly X-Men and it's everything I love about the X-Men comic books distilled into eight minutes of a movie. Yeah, that's a good choice. I mean, that definitely um, is a lot of, I don't want to call it fan service because that kind of cheapens it. Mm -hmm. It's just a lot of like lifting the feeling of the comics directly out of the comics into a movie. Like that's definitely, yeah. It's when somebody, somebody who loves the comics and it's a Brian Singer movie. So you, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't begrudge him for loving these characters. I just think he loves them in a way that we don't always understand. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but, but, but you could tell this is, it was fan service in the way of, 
I'm not going to be gentle with these characters just because I love them. I'm right. going to let you see them die in horrific ways. I'm going to let you see them struggle. I'm going to let you, sh- I'm going to show you what the X-Men is about, which is fighting against all odds. Even if you know, it's not going to, you're not going to win. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a good choice. I, I want to dig deep for this one because I don't want to pick an obvious one. Um, but I have to admit that I am a sucker for look at the cool shit that Wolverine can do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and um my god one of my favorite scenes in all the x-men movies is actually the the beginning of um this is a movie that i feel like people forget about um it's the wolverine it's it's the it's directed by james mangold who also directed logan this is his first shot at the character, I believe. Um, and and for me, I mean, I could be making this up in my head, but it seems like this is, you know, Hugh Jackman found a director who who wanted to geek out on the history of, of this character from the comics with him. Mm-hmm. And and it had this energy of of just these two guys saying like, let's, let's just make a badass Wolverine movie. And you know, it, it, I mean, there's definitely things about this movie that I hate. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's God, like half the movie they get so right for me. And then half the movie, they just get so wrong. There's like almost no middle ground in this movie for me, <laughs> but I love the opening scene where we see Wolverine back in, in a, in a prisoner's camp in world war two in Japan, I think it's in Japan, but, um, and, and it's when the, the bomb goes off and mm-hmm. he saves that one guy. Um, it's in, it, it's okay. Here it is. I just looked it up. It's a, it's a, he's in a Japanese prisoner of war camp in Nagasaki in 1945, yeah. right? When the Americans dropped the atom bomb. And so it just has so many cool ingredients <laughs> of the of the comic book Wolverine is using his his um healing uh power um the fact that he's like saving one of his captors the fact that there's this feeling of like honor that drives him to do it you know like it's it's Wolverine it's so many like the 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 classic character traits are there and present in this movie and uh, in this scene and when I saw it, I it really hyped me up for the rest of the movie. And maybe, God, now as I'm talking about it, that's probably one of the reasons why I hate so much. <laughs> I hate so, so the parts that let me down, I feel like severely let down. And I think it's because of the promise of this opening scene. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's really graphic and visceral and violent, not violent. Like it, there's not like a battle or fighting. It's just like, it's gory, you know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. um, it's bloody. It's not nice. And it's, to me, it's how a Wolverine story should be told, you know, mm-hmm. um, it should have the feeling of danger to it. And, um, and like violence is just around the corner and, Man, I fucking love, like, I'll watch this whole movie just because of this one scene. Like, I'll just be like, I'm just going to watch this scene and then I'll watch the whole movie. Um, And I'm equally let down by the end of the movie. It's like the beginning of the movie is one of my favorite scenes in X-Men movies. And the end of this movie is one of my most hated scenes in X-Men movie where it turns into this, like, big CGI like, like <laughs> robot that he's fighting at the end. And it's just like, ugh, like, none of this matters, you know? 
Mm-hmm. But that opening scene is awesome. To me, it's it's a better version of I think that what they were trying to accomplish with the whole timeline of events in the in the first Wolverine origin movie. You know, where, where him and Sabretooth are like fighting all these different wars throughout time. And do you remember that sequence? I don't. I feel like that sequence was like it was so flashy. Like, you know, I got what they were trying to do and that they're trying to show us how old these characters are and how much they've been through together. And you see them fight in like the Revolutionary War. They fight in like World War Two. They fight in Vietnam. And it's like there are these soldiers and these warriors throughout time. But it's just so flashy that there's no like emotional anchor to that sequence. Right. And Which this, is, I mean, I kind of vaguely remember it now that you're talking about it, yeah. but yeah, it, I think it doesn't stick because it doesn't have any sort of emotional anchor. Yes. And this to me is the opposite. It's not this flashy trip throughout time. The fact that it's set during World War II tells you how old Wolverine is right away, gives you an idea of this timelessness of his, you know, his, his, this character. And, but it's all about the emotional like anchor of this seat of this scene. It's the whole point of it. And it tells you so much about his character. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I fucking, I'm going to watch the Wolverine again after we finish podcasting today, <laughs> just cause I'm getting, and, and I also, it, it has a soft spot because I do feel like it's one of those kind of forgotten movies and it's so Wolverine. Like it's, it draws from, you know, um, um, Claremont and, and, and Frank Miller's, uh, you know, initial miniseries, Wolverine miniseries. He's, he's fighting ninjas and samurai, like how fucking cool. Right. Um, yeah. So it definitely has a soft spot for those reasons. Well, and I, I really do feel that X, uh, that uh, Wolverine gets a, a bad rap because he was so overused by Marvel that people got tired of him. And it was like, of course, Wolverine's in like five comics at the same time. Of course, you're going to make Wolverine an Avenger. Of course, you're, like it just yeah. kind of kept piling on Wolverine. And so people are like, oh, he's so overused. He's overrated. And it's like, but if you go back to original Wolverine, if you go back to this character, he can be used in a lot of stories because he's gone through so much and he's a flawed character. I think it's why Batman can go through so many stories and you not get tired of him. It's because there's so much there to dig into. I'll tell you what, Joe, I cannot wait. Maybe I should wait because there's a helicopter flying by my apartment right now. (laughs) I don't know if you're picking that up, if you can hear that. Just a little, but not badly. I can't wait until Wolverine is deployed by Marvel in the MCU, the way they use the Hulk. Yes. That I think that's the blueprint. Mm-hmm. I think we saw in the couple of solo Hulk movies that it just didn't quite, that character didn't quite have the same impact, you know, as when he's deployed as a supporting character. Right. And I think if, if MCU chooses to use Wolverine in that way, which I think would be smart for them to do, it's going to be fucking glorious. And I, I really, this is one of those things that I really want to see. I want to see a movie with the original five X-Men in it. Yes. Just the original five. I want to see the franchise start with them. They won't do it because the characters, other characters are too iconic, but I want to see those five characters start the ball rolling. Add in Polaris and Havoc if you want, because that gives you a little bit more to work with, but or or make them the whole the whole foil of the series because Lord knows that those two are mind controlled enough that you can make them the enemies for for the opening movie, but make make Wolverine's entrance mean something. Make the end of that X Men movie the the stinger that everybody waits in the theater for be cut to the Canadian wilderness 
see a man walking through the woods and then see the Hulk pop up behind him. And then you hear shink and then it's, you know, cut to the rest of the, of the credits. Like that's what I, that's how I want. That's how I want my Wolverine to be introduced to the Marvel universe. Yeah. I mean, you know, for me, what has to happen before that, which would like fucking just be a dream come true is for this original team, you know, of five X-Men be uh, disappeared on a mission to Krakoa. Mm -hmm. And that's why they need to bring in the new, you know, international team of X-Men. Oh, I think that's, I think that's how you, I think that's how you, like the next, the next movie you start with, with, Wolverine fighting the Hulk in in oh. Canadian wilderness, oh. and then and then Xavier and then Xavier stops by and says, "I need you for my X Men," oh, and my then God. they go rescue them from Rakoa. Because if you remember that giant size X Men, it just starts with him recruiting X Men. You don't know why you're used to the old yeah. the the old classic five or yeah. seven, depending on what oh, time it was. My God, Joe, that you just oh. <laughs> I'm still I'm still reacting to that first scene you painted. Holy shit, that would be amazing. Yeah, because you don't need you don't need context for it. You already know who the Hulk is. Yeah. And Lord knows the Hulk has become Smart Hulk and and Savage Hulk back and forth throughout history. So, yeah. you know, there's certainly a way that he can have become um fully feral at that point. It could be a throwback story too. Yeah. Um yeah, did you okay, I don't know if you caught this in one of the videos they covered how um when Matthew Vaughn was brought in to do X-Men First Class, he only had like a few months to put that movie together. Mm-hmm. And originally, he and his writing partner, Jane Goldman, I believe her name is, they planned for a trilogy in which X-Men First Class would be the first one. A, a movie would then follow focusing on the original 5 members of the of the t- original team of x-men and then the third movie the end of this trilogy was supposed to be days of future past wow and fox got impatient and moved days of future past up to the very next movie and that that would have that would have made it wouldn't have saved dark phoenix but that would have made the payoff of dark phoenix oh it would have made such a stronger. huge difference yeah 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 so that was the original plan there. Damn, my heart breaks, man. My mm-hmm. heart fucking breaks. <laughs> well, I'm trying to I'm trying to hold on hope that that Disney Marvel has has them now and so they're going to take they're going to take them. And I'm going to use that as a transition because I want to tell you about the scene that I want to see made. Like oh. that was exciting the the whole <laughs> Wolverine Hulk, oh, that would my be fun. God. But I've got to go back to Dark Phoenix and I we have always talked about how like how do you get how do you get that scene on the moon to work? Because the the Shi'ar Imperial Guard is a deep dive, and you have to do a lot of setup to get to there. They're doing it, man. They're, do- <laughs> They're doing. Are it. they? I mean, I just feel like all this cosmic stuff, like you know, ugh, it's right. It's- but but to get to the point where where you've got you've got the because the Imperial Guard really didn't feel like they don't want to kill the Phoenix. They, they, they feel like it's part of what they have to do. It's their job. They understand. And and it's more heartbreaking to see the people that are going to fight for her and have to fight them. Like there, that's where a lot of this, this emotion comes from is, you know, the character, there's the characters are, 
are important to you. And so you see them fighting soldiers who acknowledge that what they're doing right now sucks and that it it's not fair, but it's what it has to be. Yeah. So give me a couple of X-Men movies and then do the Dark Phoenix saga. And instead of the Shi'ar Imperial Guard, you use the Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh my God, Joe. Because you already love those characters and you already know those characters and you already know that those characters are going to look at the (laughs) X-Men and they're going to say, that sucks and we don't want to do this, but she destroyed an entire civilization and she can't be left to to live. And, And you have those quiet moments before it happens where the X-Men are, are dealing with it and struggling with it. And this is somebody we love and we care about. And are we doing the right thing? And they go up against the guardians of the galaxy who hate what they have to do. Right. They get, they get contracted to, to capture the X-Men. Well, and I don't even think that they get contracted. They just, they just recognize and realize that, you know, there's no, there's no way to protect the universe from the Phoenix. So wait, so you're saying that Lilandra is not part of this and the Shi'ar is, are not part of this? I, I think, I think at all. Well, maybe, maybe they are part of who kind of, inc- you know, points them in the right direction, you know, lets them know, Hey, this is what's gone down. But there's a lot of buildup to make the Shi'ar important enough for you to feel that regret that they are feeling. Right. Right. It's too easy to make them just like stock characters that you throw at the X-Men with no emotion. You throw characters that we already love and care about and you see the struggle between, I mean, that's, that's what you want in a versus, that's what you want in an X-Men versus Avengers. That's what you want in an Avengers versus the Fantastic Four. You love these characters and you know that neither are completely right and neither are completely wrong. Well, here's the thing, Joe. I I mean, I love the idea of the X-Men versus the Guardians of the Galaxy. I, Mm -hmm. that's fucking great. But that being said, I just, I want the Shi'ar. I want Warbird, you know? I want Mm -hmm. Lelandra. And remember that Peter Quill's, um, Peter Quill has, has a, oh, it's not Peter Quill. I'm mixing up my, I'm thinking of um, Cyclops' father. Oh, oh my God! Uh, the 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 Star Jammers, Corsair. Yes, he's woven into this story. That's true. So, <laughs> like, the, you know, there's just there's too for me that it would be it would sacrifice too much, too much story. I still, feel, I still feel there's ways that you can do it without having to have it be the Imperial Guard. Have 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 the the Shi'ar keep the CR part of the storyline, but, but make it the guardians of the galaxy because it's going to be, it's going to you, unless they decide they're going to do an entire movie about the Imperial guard. You're not going to have that, that crossover feel. You're not going to have that weight of a group that you care about fighting another group that you care about. Yeah. And you know, I know that I'm, I'm conflating a lot of these sort of like cosmic galactic stories and characters, but what, what I'm saying is there's such a vast <laughs> like world or galaxy of these characters out there 
that I like, I want all that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I want it to feel like, you know, how Star Wars is just like all these planets and all mm-hmm. these alien races and like all of this infinite like opportunity for storytelling. Like I, the X-Men has that. And I want that to be, you know, to, 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 to be given its full due. Well, you want to talk about, you want to talk about like an, a galactic scale villain. When do we get the brood? Yes, dude, exactly. And you can make an X-Men movie that's like alien-esque. Mm-hmm. Because that's what the brood is. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, yeah, I'm looking at this right now. The 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 Star Jammers do feature like su- significantly in, in Uncanny X-Men and the and the rise and the fall of the Shi'ar Empire. So I just I just want all that. I just want mm-hmm. like a crazy, you know, like Professor X is, you know, abducted and and has this whole other story happen. You know, and I keep, I keep, I mean, I do keep going back to Star Wars because I, I feel like that happened. They splinter the characters and, you know, Han Solo's gone for a, a whole movie almost, you know, and, and, and like some, you know, some characters go off on this one story. And I mean, that's totally the X-Men comic books. Right. And and you get to see different characters that wouldn't normally get paired up, you know, play off each other, you know, and just like forge, you know, stronger connections to become more of a family and yeah, all of that. I mean, it's hard for me to top this. Like you, you, this would be amazing to see on the screen. I think, you know, if I had to pick one, um, I don't know about one scene, but definitely the. I'm not a typical X Men reader like you are. I mean, you. I just remember from the moment I met you, Joe. Like the X Men really featured significantly in your geekdom. Yes. Um, I remember pointing at your poster in your classroom and going like, ah, yes, we will be friends. Like, um, (laughs) but you know, but I didn't grow up reading all of the classic comics. I sort of caught up with them after the fact, right? Like I watched the cartoon. I knew about Wolverine. I had read a comic here or there. Once I became more of a full fledged comic geek, I, I realized like it's important for me to go back and experience these stories. So that's been a lot of my exposure to the classic X-Men stories, but I, I was very much a more like of a, a fan of the more modern stories. And I have to admit, not all of them have been great. (laughs) Most of them have been not great, but one story that really had a huge impact on me. And it was one of my first favorite comics that I was obsessed with. And that I collected for uh, way deep into its run was generation X. Oh yes. And so I would have to choose a scene from that first arc, that first story arc, because I was obsessed with generation. It felt like my X-Men team. Yeah. The way that's that's your that's your new that's your new mutants. Because that's very much what they were. They were the next generation of new mutants. A hundred percent. And I was I was in love. I was totally in love. You want to talk about my favorite artist at the height of his powers, at least what I consider the height of his uh, creative output. Um, drawing this monthly that was just so kind of quirky and different and, and like, you know, just centered these teenagers as they were learning about their powers and training, they were being trained by Emma Frost and by Banshee who were the headmasters of the school at the time and introducing these new characters. There was diversity there. I remember um, skin was Latino from East LA. So I had that, like, you know, that connection mm-hmm. there. Jubilee was a character that I already knew, but she decided to go back to the school to like fully like train to, the, to bring her powers to the next level. Um, I loved all the sarcasm and all the fucking witty, you know, banter. Um, I don't know which scene from that, but it definitely would be from, from that 
comic book. Did you did you ever see the new uh, the Gen X pilot that was terrible? Have I don't you know seen what you're that? Talking about Joe, I don't think that exists. Actually, I, don't, <laughs> I have no no, idea no what you're no, not <laughs> referring at all. to at Didn't all. Didn't happen. Didn't happen. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, that would be weird. And no, that would be sad. I'm glad they never did anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay. We're, I think we're almost ready to wrap up. I want to ask you yeah. a question. Go for it. Um, what, so this is what kind of, you know, watching this whole playlist led me to these questions at the end of the day. Um, so many people talk about the X-Men in time and, and sort of the genesis of this story and these characters and the dynamic between, uh, professor X and Magneto and their friendship and the mm-hmm. birth of Magneto and how important that is to the birth of his character. Mm-hmm. The fact that he's Jewish and he's tied to World War II and his experiences, you know, um, and losing his family and, and being, you know, treated as, as less than human and how that's informed much of his philosophy towards mutants and mutant liberation. Mm-hmm. Um, as time goes on, we're getting further and further away from that war and from those events. Right. And we've seen Marvel update a lot of their origins that are connected to war. You know, most most prominently, I would say Tony Stark, mm-hmm. you know, being going from, you know, kind of a, a red scare type of, you know, superhero in the 80s to, to, you know, being updated to the Korean War, being updated to, you know, the, um, the Desert Storm, right? And mm-hmm. the Middle mm-hmm. East. Yeah. How, can... Can the X-Men be updated like the rest of the Marvel universe? Should they be updated? It, and if they're not, do they, does it have the same social implications to, to audiences today? Well, I love the fact that one of the things I think that's always drawn me to the X-Men is that they are always representing the underdog that exists in the real world. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, they, they did deal with, you know, they did represent civil rights mm-hmm. when they were first rebooted. Yes. They were, they were dealing with gay themes right. and gay concerns. I mean, they had an entire virus that they used to be an analog for AIDS. Right. And how it was, you know, affecting, you know, it started off only affecting mutants, but then, you know, it it did affect non-mutants mm-hmm. and, you know, it was very, very poignant. So I think as long as there is a struggle in the world and there's a, a group of people who are being oppressed by society, mm-hmm. I think the X-Men have a place because they can become an analog for that, that struggle. Mm. Yeah. I mean, so then you're saying that they can be updated. I do. I do think they can be updated. I don't think that everybody will love them being updated, but I don't know that that's always everybody else's choice. Like I think if they do it well, it's fine. Where I get stuck is how do you update Magneto? Um, What if you made him a person of color? Cause you're going to get a lot of that same perspective. Oh, and to, and to double down on the fact that they're not a, no, not only, and this is a theme that they've explored several times in, in the X-Men books. Not only are they a person of color, but they're a mutant. And so they're, they're getting it from multiple sides. I mean, when you do the, when they do those, those privilege tests, the people who, the, the demographic that 
tends to be the farthest back on the list is black lesbian women. Right. Because they're getting it from literally all angles. Right, right. That's why intersectionality is so important as a concept, right? As a, as a, as a um, wow. So, you, okay, man, you're bringing fire today, Joe. Holy I'm, shit. I'm trying. I'm trying. Yeah. I honestly have been, I've been like, when's it going to be 11 o'clock? When's it going to be 11 o'clock? Holy I'll shit. About this stuff. <laughs> because, okay. Because so, so they're using, they, they started out using the, the world war two experience, you know, in, in the past, in order to inform the mutant allegory for civil rights in the present, which was the present at the time or closer mm-hmm. to that. So now we're moving it up so that civil rights is the, is the past, you know, defining experience, not world war two, but civil rights. And, and that's the allegory for today. Yeah. I mean, we're, you know, we're still very much, in it not, not much has changed so holy shit that i i want to know what people think about this i i'm right now i'm feeling like i need to jump on twitter and reach out to like because <laughs> i you know um there's a great there's a great geek community of color on twitter um that is you know one dying for a storm movie um yeah and two just sort of like really bringing this really important and, and interesting lens to these stories that we all love. Um, God, I would love for this to be discussed and explored further. That'd be amazing. I was thinking about this and I hope, I hope we're not like cutting out a huge section of our, our listenership by, by deep diving into X-Men, but it's something that is a shared passion between you and I, and I have no problem exploring it for multiple episodes. I mean, we'll, we'll intersperse other stuff in there, but you might be seeing a lot more X-Men stuff coming up because I think it is relevant for today's audiences. I think it is a, I mean, there's just so much you can pull out of the X-Men. You know, when Marvel does get around to, to doing X-Men, it's going to be a huge deal. Mm-hmm. And we'll be able to repost some of these episodes <laughs> because, <laughs> because these conversations with, you know, people, it'll be relevant. And I think people will be seeking out some of these conversations. So yeah, for sure. I mean, just wait. I mean, it's going to be when Marvel decides to to do this and, and light the fuse on this whole franchise. And I think you're right. It's going to be once they feel they've, they, they've, you know, exhausted or come close to exhausting these Avenger stories based on the current timeline. Right. Mm-hmm. That's when, because they don't need to, they're, they've got a wealth of, of their, uh, an, an embarrassment of riches, right? At this right. point. Right. So they, they're, they're in no rush. And when they do it, it's going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be just as massive as the Avengers and infinity war. Yeah. And, and you, I, I have faith in them that as they evolve, I mean, as we get things that work like black Panther and captain Marvel, and they're like, you know, we don't have to be afraid of taking risks. Mm-hmm that they'll be willing to tell stories that are a little bit more out there. Yeah, absolutely. Oh man. I just got, you just fucking hype me up so much. <laughs> Yay. Yeah, this is good. <laughs> well, on that note, any, any shout outs this week? Um, once again, shout out to my sister for letting me use her HBO max subscription. <laughs> and you know what? You know what? My sister's amazing. She's also a Leo. So I can't really, I'm not going to force her to share the spotlight here with anyone else. That's going to be my shout out for her for this week. Cause my sister's fucking awesome. 
<laughs> nice. I, I have two shout outs. One's a little self indulgent. Well, I guess they're both a little self indulgent. <laughs> um, one is I want to shout out to all the other teachers out there because we're, we're doing good work right now. And if, if you are a teacher and you are listening to this, you are, are doing a good job, even if you don't feel like you are. And I want to, I want to throw that out because it's so hard to feel like you're succeeding when there's so much against you and, and you are, you are still keeping everything going. So, so have faith. Um, but the other shout out is I was actually on a podcast a week or so ago. I was on, um, uh, Frasley's, uh, Frazzlecast and, and did a thing with him and he is going to be on our show soon. It's just, he was the, he was the guy I flaked on when I was like, I'm too tired. I can't podcast. <laughs> so we're going to be hearing from him soon, but I definitely want you to go check out, go check out, uh, the Frazzlecast and, and my episode. It's not all wow. It's a little wow, but not all world of Warcraft. There's some <laughs> other stuff in there. You know, I do want to add for those of you that are still listening. Um, I know I made a, a joke about jumping on Twitter to talk about this stuff. I don't know when that's going to be able to happen because I'm so busy with work. And that just brings to mind um, that I haven't been on Slack and I need to apologize to our listeners that, you know, uh, uh, made suggestions and, and have continued to engage with, you know, our, our topics of discussion. And I just have not had the time to go on there and just sort of geek out with people. Um, so I apologize for that. Um, but if you have contributed to those discussions, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. All the music in this episode is by Ben Sound and is being used under a Creative Commons license. You can find more music by Ben Sound at bensound.com. Geektitude is a proud member of the Geek2Geek network. Check out other Geek2Geek shows and make sure you join our Reddit community at r forward slash Geek2Geek cast. Or you can join us in Slack or Discord where you can chat with us in real time. We're basically everywhere. So <laughs> just, just find us. We like engaging with you. You can currently find us at geektitude.com as well as on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and most other podcatchers out there. Please leave us a review and spread the word. If you'd like to contact me, you can send me an email at joehogan at geektitude.com. You can also follow the show on Twitter at geektitude or me personally at Epic Grays. Ray, where can we find you? Um, on Twitter, but also <laughs> on other social media platforms. I'm on Facebook. I spend a lot of time on Instagram as well these days. Uh, and my handle is at Ray Vargas three. It's Ray Vargas and the number three. Uh, and that's my website as well. So if you want to check out my artwork, you can go to rayvargas3.com. Awesome. Well, this has been a, a fun deep dive into the X-Men. And hopefully you'll be able to kind of look at some of the excellent scenes out there. And until then... Remember this week, keep it geek. 